Hey guys, before today's episode, I want to tell you about a couple of great podcasts. One is called The History of Witchcraft, and if you liked our Anti-Witches series, you'll find a whole lot more there. And the other is called Dig, a History Podcast, which is a team of women with PhDs talking about quirky topics in history. And if you like our show, I think you're going to love pretty much anything that they do. In fact, some of their topics are even dead ideas, and we are going to be having a special feature coming up from Dig on our show. That's a teaser, I'll leave it at that. Anyway, both of these fantastic podcasts are in the running for the podcast awards and i need you guys to head over to www.podcastawards.com and show them some love nominations end july 31st so head there right now all right now for your regularly scheduled episode of dead ideas today's dead idea viking berserkers and we're going to switch gears a bit today and talk about another fascinating part of the berserkers viking world specifically Shield Maidens, and Other Badass Women. That's what we're talking about today on Dead Ideas. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. The music we just heard was composed by Rachel Westhoff, my lovely wife, whose grim tale is told on her new Viking synth album, Westhoffasaga, available for only 19 pieces of silver. <laughs> and if you order now, you get a free axe sharpener as well. <laughs> We've got some very special co-hosts for this episode today. My cousin, Nicholas Prisbilla. Hello. And... Yes. <laughs> Doing it, doing his handsome voice. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and his fiance, Tia. Hello. Hi. So uh, you have a special connection, actually, and this is completely coincidental. I was doing this whole series about Iceland, and then just randomly learned that you just went to Iceland, like last week. Like I got back on Monday. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So you were saying though that you went to like the place of the all thing. Of the all thing. Yeah, the old, like, parliament. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. The, the Thingvellir. Yes. <laughs> thing- <laughs> no, 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 no. You have to be very careful because the P is actually the th. Right, T-H. Where the D is like a th. Mm-hmm. So it's Thingvellir. Thingvellir. But you said you stood on the law rock? Uh, the law rock went missing. They can't find the law rock. Really? So oh, I, I went to the place where the law rock was. Oh, okay. Um, which is now represented by a flagpole. A flagpole? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With no flag. Oh, why no flag? Ask the Icelanders. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Didn't get that far either. So I stood where they met for the parliament, yes. Okay, well, that's still really badass. Yeah, so. that was cool. Multiple yeah. forms of badassery today. And very coincidentally, that yeah. is where the tectonic plates meet. And their meeting place at that specific point was not based on where the tectonic plates met. It was just the easiest place to get to for all places on the island. Sure. And now I'm putting together, like, there's all kind of volcanic activity on Iceland. Yeah. Every five years, it makes a volcano sense. It makes sense now if, like, that's where the tectonic plates are bumping up against each other. And they're actually separating. And it's by a centimeter a day. Uh, a year. So eventually Iceland's going to be two islands. No, volcanoes will keep on erupting and it'll keep on filling in the gaps. And... Filling the gap. Right. <laughs> right on. I got to stand on the Eurasia and the America's tectonic plates. At of the course, he has the, a uh, picture of it. It's actually pretty cool. Of course, this is the uh, 
the tourist safe place to stand on it where you don't risk falling or you're able to touch. Or getting buried in lava. Right. But (laughs) we also went to where you can dive. You can go 30 meters down in the clearest water that I've ever seen in my life, which I also drank from, which is very refreshing. Uh, But you can dive (laughs) down 30 meters and touch both of the tectonic plates with your hands. Oh, that's really cool. For a decent price of $200 and with your scuba certificate. Yeah, you have to be In a dry suit. Okay, the the level of badassery on this side of the room is getting a little too high now. I think we need to sort of balance it out. (laughs) I I didn't go. I don't have anything (laughs) happening. It's exciting. I I just read those. um, Growing up, I was recommended books because I'm a bookworm. And, like, I read these books about um, this girl named Brie who lived in Norway and literally that's how I learned any folklore about anything is just from this book series. I don't even remember what it's called, but it's essentially about Vikings and how they kidnap this girl and she learns their culture and tradition because she's a captive. But (laughs) I read it so long ago, it doesn't even matter anymore. But Well, that's cool too. And speaking of books, you're a huge Tolkien fan, Oh my god, I love Tolkien. Yeah. Well, just a little teaser to listeners at the end of the episode, (laughs) something to do with Tolkien is coming. All right. Okay, so on to the episode, right? Okay, so we've been talking about berserkers and their whole Viking world. And so far, they've all been men. And unfortunately, we just don't have any surviving references to female berserkers. There's nothing that says a woman couldn't be a berserker. We just don't have any hint that it ever happened. However, we do have stories of women warriors, which were often called skjoldmer, or shield maidens and now what this means exactly and whether it's a historical reality or not is a little complicated the word is only used very rarely it shows up in one saga called arrow odds saga about a guy named odd who has some magic arrows and so they call him arrow odd (laughs) um but it shows up in very i know right (laughs) it shows up in very few other places and modern scholars generally believe that the shield maiden as a class of person is probably mythical, much like the Greek Amazon stories. Sure. However, we have quite a few stories of women taking up arms and of foreign armies even fighting Northmen and then being surprised to find armored women among the slain after the battle. (laughs) Um, So it happened. But the thing was, there wasn't a thing called a shield maiden. It wasn't this like cultural phenomenon where you'd be like, oh, what's up with her? She's a shield maiden? Oh, I've heard of that. It wouldn't be like that. It would be like, what's up with her? Tits and a sword? Uh, cool. <laughs> and then oh, okay. kind of just end of story. That's just what she does. Okay. You know, the majority of women didn't fight. It was relatively rare, but it happened. And it happened enough that we've got quite a few stories even coming down to us. And we're going to hear plenty of those <laughs> today. Um, before we do, though, we should set the context of what a woman's role and life was like in the Viking world so that then we can see how you take a deviant route from that <laughs> every once in a while. All right. So first of all, let's just come right out and say it. There's no question about it. Viking society was a male-dominated society. Women were subordinate. However, that said, for a medieval society, they had a surprising amount of power. Women could own land, for example, and in Laxdala Saga, 
which is a saga of Laxadale, which is a part of Iceland. This saga tells of Un, the deep-minded, who she runs afoul of some kind of trouble in Scotland. And then she leads a band of 20 men on a longship, captained by herself. And she takes them to Iceland, where she claims this vast estate and then shares it out among her followers. And so that kind of power and like land owning and wealth and like leading bands of men. It's not a thing. It was totally a thing. It was totally a thing. You could you could find yourself in that situation as a Viking woman. Why can't we do that now? There's no there's no land to claim in the world anymore. What? You go to Antarctica. Pers- yeah, right. Like, okay. Part of my <laughs> you can't point. stand Minnesota winters. <laughs> but it'd be so cool How you to just live in Antarctica. But like, okay, to like man a really awesome ship like that, and then just have a bunch of guys be like, okay, what's the game plan? And then be like, okay, we're gonna go here, and then this is what's gonna happen. Like That'd be test cool. Test if the world's flat or something. It's, no, I. Just... It's definitely a testament to a different kind of culture when you talk in terms of medieval cultures. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty phenomenal. Other things about women in the Viking world, if a woman was injured or killed, the offended party could claim vengeance. And just like for a man, that could either be in the form of violence against the killer, or uh, it could be a payment of guild, so like a restitution kind of payment in silver or other goods. goods. And in fact, in Germanic cultures, the guild price for a woman was often more than that of a man's, sometimes even as much as double. Makes sense. Um, as they appear in sagas, women often had a bit of a lip on them. <laughs> um, while they could be peace weavers, so to speak, uh, promoting peace and concord, quite often they were shown as goading their men onto revenge or to war. And a Norse proverb even goes, cold are the counsels of women. <laughs> oh. Well, even now women are the boss. <laughs> you know, the man might run the household in society's eyes, but the woman's still the boss. We wear the pants. <laughs> women women did wear the uh, stethoscope in Viking society, though. They were the doctors. They were in charge of healing. And they were also the ones who wielded magic. There's a lot of cultures that do that. Like, you look at Native American culture, they have the same thing. Like, women were very much respected, and they had these places of wisdom and honor and, like... Depending on the tribe, sure. Yeah, yeah but mm-hmm. if you went to them, like, they took you at your word. Well, if you, were, uh, if you were doing the magic thing in a Viking world, you could be a vulva, which means a shaman. A and yes, and it sounds just like the word you're thinking of. Really? Yes. <laughs> vulva. <laughs> vulva. Or you could be a spakona, or seer, or a seithkona, or sorceress. The ideal, though was to be a devoted wife and mother. But all of that said, even the ideal woman wasn't necessarily submissive. Women could be pretty damn headstrong compared to a lot of other ancient and medieval societies. They had to be tough. I mean, they had to be tough because when the man was out, like, raiding, like, England or Ireland or France or someplace, like, who's watching that farm? Right, Somebody's got to defend the farm. Chilling at home. Yeah. yeah. Well, they weren't just chilling. They well, were doing everything. Doing, yeah. Yeah. When the man was not around, she was the boss. And in fact, the uh, the symbol of the wife's office was the set of keys to the homestead that she would wear prominently dangling from her belt. And, oh. Yeah. So you got to imagine like a, a married woman kind of walking around with a little bit of swagger. 
you know, those keys kind of like just jangling. jangling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, what happens if you're a married woman, but you don't like your husband? Kill him. <laughs> well, I'm sure that happened. Um, but what if you didn't want to go quite that far? Like, what were your options in terms of divorce? So the woman, just as much as the man, had the power to initiate divorce. And some sources indicate that it might have been as simple as just making a formal declaration before witnesses. I divorce you. And that counts. It was that easy. Which is kind of used historically as an indicator of like how free women are in various societies. Like what their ability to like take control of divorce was. Yeah. Well, well, specifically, divorce is something that historians can look at and compare like in a discreet way. So in this case, divorce was relatively... They were relatively empowered when it came to that. Okay. Was the marriage itself a declaration before witnesses? You know, none of my sources did it ever give me an actual concrete description of what a marriage was like. Oh. You arranged it between families, right? as was right. common all through history, apart from our own time, basically. But yeah, I didn't get any details on what the ritual was like or anything like that, unfortunately. Oh. But here's something really interesting about divorce. So there's a story of one woman... Her name was Un Mord's daughter, different Un than the one in Iceland. And she doesn't like her man, so she comes up with a scheme to get a divorce. Because you do have to have at least a pretext, like a reason for a divorce. Okay. So what she does is she sews her husband a shirt that is too low cut. <laughs> and then she makes him wear it. And when he agrees and he puts it on... She accuses him of unmanliness. It's called ergi, and it's like a major offense in Viking culture. And then she divorces him on the grounds that, oh, my husband's unmanly. And so she gets her divorce. Wow. That's, <laughs> wow. It's kind of schemy. <laughs> it's kind of schemy, but it's way less complicated than I thought. Yeah, right. Interestingly, what was her name again? Un. Un Morn's daughter? Mord's daughter. So what's interesting about in Iceland uh-huh. is that they don't have last names. Their last name is even their today. father's name. Even today, their last oh, name is their father's name followed by son or daughter. So if your dad's name is Thompson, uh-huh. you're Thompson's son. And That's amazing. I, I didn't know that that was still the case. It's still the case. And there's only 300,000 inhabitants on the island. Yeah. And they actually have an app. To make sure that you aren't sleeping with your cousin. That I have heard of. That's... Because every no one has last names. <laughs> your dad's name is David and your name is Jacob. Your your full name is Jacob Davidson. So swiping right or left has a whole other meaning. That's <laughs> what they're selling me. With that app, yes. Make sure you aren't dating your cousin before you, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you pull out the ring. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, that's my cousin. I'm swiping <laughs> left on that one. Okay, so... Let's talk about sex. What about sex outside of marriage? So no doubt it happened plenty often, as it does in any society. And uh, we heard about one such affair in a previous episode in this series, where we had the story, Gunhild has her way with Hrut. Listeners, go back and listen to that one if you're intrigued. (laughs) I'm intrigued. However, it was by no means a casual thing in Viking society. It was pretty serious. In the case of a woman engaging in an adulterous affair, so she's married, right? The husband was within his rights to kill both her and her lover outright. Of course, no such thing was true if he had the affair. Yep. Not really surprised, right? But there it is. 
Now, when it comes to an unmarried young woman, right? So before she's sure. never married, she was also very carefully watched. Okay. And the thing about this was it's, you have to remember that it's like an honor culture, right? And they have different ideas of privacy and public stuff, right? Okay. Anything that you do that becomes public reflects upon the whole family and their honor. So that's kind of the context of this whole thing. So young lovers had to be extraordinarily careful that their trysts were not discovered publicly because if it was, it could bring shame on the whole family. Would it ruin her prospects? It might. Yeah, I'm sure it could. Attentions to a girl by visits or conversation was severely frowned upon. And if you were so brazen as to compose a poem in praise of a girl, <laughs> you could be punished with outlawry. It was wow. It was serious business. Pretty hardcore. Yeah. You, you said earlier before we started recording that you're not good at poems, so that would be fortunate for you. Yep. <laughs> yes, you're like I'm good. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so this hefty punishment seems to arise out of a combination of that public nature of uh, perceptions thing, and a poem is particularly public because it's easy to remember. Word gets around fast when things are you know in poem for a form, you know. Also, they thought of poetry as having a spellbinding magic about it. So it was like doubly bad. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Nevertheless, even with such stiff punishments in place, or perhaps because they were so stiff that it showed your how intense your passion was, therefore, uh, people still did compose love poems. We have lots of them on record and stuff. Now, even if you were allowed to court a young girl in this way, if it was not followed by a proper marriage proposal, it was within the rights of the girl's father or brother to seek blood vengeance against you. Wow, there's so many parameters <laughs> I on know. This. It was tough. It was more than swiping uh, right or left. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. That concludes what I have for the situation of the typical woman oh, in sure. Viking society. Now, you ready for some atypical women? Yes. Very. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's talk about some badass women in Viking society. So we could begin with what might be the most famous of the Viking warrior women, thanks to the History Channel series Vikings. Have you guys seen this show? Oh, I started watching it. Did you? And then I stopped. Oh, but okay. I, liked, I liked it. I liked, <laughs> I liked what I did see. I, I need yeah. to get back into it. Yeah. I like it. There's a lot about it that's that's not historical at all, but I still... There's actually yeah. a lot of laws in place in Iceland to keep... Whatever is left. To keep the Viking tradition alive. Like, if you have a kid, you have to choose from a pre-approved list of names to keep the names, like, Icelandic. Really? Mm-hmm. And that's incumbent upon all citizens? Every Icelandic native, yes. You have to choose your child's name from a pre-approved list to keep the traditions alive. What if you're not native to Iceland and you move there? Well, if your baby's already born, then it's not a problem. But if your baby is born, I don't know. So Moon Unit Zappa is not on the list then? Nope. Just checking. <laughs> so anyway, um, on the show Vikings, there is a particular warrior woman named Lavgirtha. Or they pronounce it Lagatha on there. Probably because it's really hard to say Lavgirtha. Yeah. <laughs> the real Lavgirtha's story is told in the Latin text Gesta Danorum, or History of the Danes. Written in the late 12th, early 13th century by Saxo Grammaticus. And Saxo was a Christian monk, and that does bias uh, how her story plays out. 
which we'll talk a little bit about after we get her story. So Lagertha shows up in chapter 9, which is mainly about the legendary Ragnar Lothbrok, which is the main character of the Vikings yeah. series, right? His name means hairy britches, by the way. Great. Well, that just ruined that for me. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh. <laughs> means hairy britches. <laughs> um, I don't want to watch that. I watch that. <laughs> so here is Ladgirtha's story from the Gesta Denora. At this time, Frey, the king of Sweden, after slaying Seward, the king of the Norwegians, put the wives of Seward's kinfolk in bonds in a brothel. So he just takes all the noble ladies and just prostitutes them. Yeah. And delivered them to public outrage. When Ragnar heard of this, he went to Norway to avenge his grandfather, I believe was this Seward. As he came, many of the matrons who had either suffered insult to their persons or feared imminent peril to their chastity as a result of this extreme measures the guy took, yeah. hastened eagerly to his camp in male attire, declaring that they would prefer death to outrage. Okay. So they show up, like, all dressed for battle, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Nor did Ragnar, who was to punish this reproach upon the women, scorned to use against the author of the infamy the help of those whose shame he had come to avenge. So basically, he's like, uh, yeah, I'll take your help. I can, I can use any help I can get. I don't care that you're women. Among them was Ladgirta, a skilled female warrior, who, though a maiden, had the courage of a man and fought in front among the bravest with her hair loose over her shoulders. All marveled at her matchless deeds, for her locks flying down her back betrayed that she was a woman. Ragnar, when he had justly cut down the murderer of his grandfather, asked many questions of his fellow soldiers concerning the maiden whom he had seen so forward in the fray, and declared that he had gained the victory by the might of one woman. Wow. Yeah, so he even gave credit to her. He was like, mad props to you. Yeah. He pretty much turned the tide for us. Yeah. Learning that she was of noble birth among the barbarians, he steadfastly wooed her by means of messengers. She spurned his mission in her heart, but feigned compliance. Giving false answers, she made her panting wooer confident that he would gain his desires, but ordered that a bear and a dog should be set at the porch of her dwelling, thinking to guard her own room against all the ardor of a lover by means of the beasts that blocked the way. Ragnar, comforted by the good news, embarked, crossed the sea, and telling his men to stop in Gowlerdale, as the valley is called, went to the dwelling of the maiden alone. Here the beasts met him, and he thrust one through with a spear, and caught the other by the throat, wrung its neck, and choked it. Thus he had the maiden as the prize of the peril he had overcome. He killed the dog. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know if that actually endears you to a woman to kill her pet animals. Well, I would say no. It was a different culture, That's different true. time. It was like, uh, let me just go out of my way and get a bear and a dog. <laughs> Leave it on your porch. I'll come one night and slaughter them, and then I'll have your love. That's that's weird. Well, it's Viking romance. <laughs> I'm glad I'm at its finest. <laughs> yeah, well, you weren't a good poet anyway, so you wouldn't have. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't have survived. I don't know what you'd be doing. In the mountains? 
There you go. By this marriage, he had two daughters, whose names have not come down to us, and a son, Fridleif. Afterwards, changing his love and desiring Thora, so he's already done with her, the daughter of the king, Herod, to wife, Ragnar divorced himself from Ladgertha, for he thought ill of her trustworthiness, remembering that she had long ago set the most savage beasts to destroy him. Yeah, but he killed them. <laughs> yeah, but she put him against him. That's He's funny. like, oh yeah, maybe I shouldn't trust anybody who <laughs> sets wild animals against me. Yeah, probably anyway. should have been a red flag anyway. But that's pr- right. probably, a, probably a red flag, yes. He should have read her Tinder profile a little more closely. <laughs> so anyway, that's the tale of Ladgertha and her squad of women warriors who fought so well, and Lothgartha in particular, that Ragnar admitted that she was the decisive factor in winning the battle. Now, from a modern perspective, this is, I mean, I love this because it's a rockin' fucking story, right? First off, as modern viewers, it's always just like, yes, whenever you find, like, an actual real historical instance, like Mulan or something, where, like, a woman actually takes up arms, right? Um, Because it just so fits with our modern sensibilities of gender equality and all of that, Right. And there's even in this story a kind of an emotional resonance because they were abused, and so you get to, like, root for them to get their revenge, you know? But from a medieval perspective, it would have looked actually very different, and that kind of explains why her story might show up in this Christian monk's text in the first place. Because, remember, the author was Saxo Grammaticus, this Christian monk, and that biased his writing. Well, in the Christian period, it was just after the Viking period in Northern Europe— the idea that they used to let women do this stuff was kind of like a barbaric thing. They were like, you let women like fight? Like, ew, <laughs> you're so uncultured and uncivilized yeah. and stuff. And so for a Christian to be writing about heathens and to emphasize that they let their women do all these things was kind of like an extra slam against them. So... That's the kind of, like, irony of the text, but we can read against that yeah. and kind of be like, so glad we got these stories. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, a few other warrior women also show up in the Gesta Denarium. Uh, for example, here's another story that has a, a little bit of a psychological depth to it, or at least we can read it that way. This is the story of a Danish man named Alf, just like the... 80s series, <laughs> Elf, um, and a woman named Alf Hild, uh, which is a little weird given that they hook up in the story. So the names are Alf and Alf Hild and they become a, an item. <laughs> so anyway, here's the story. So Alf excelled the rest of his brothers in spirit and beauty and devoted himself to the business of a rover, which I imagine is probably a Viking. Such a grace was shed on his hair, which had a wonderful dazzling glow that his locks seemed to shine silvery. So he's... Wow. Yeah. He's, Very romanticized. Yeah. He, like, he could do well in Twilight, I think. Oh, God. <laughs> At the same time, Seward, king of the Goths, is said to have had a daughter, Alfhild, who showed almost from her cradle such faithfulness to modesty that she continually kept her face muffled in her robe, lest she should cause her beauty to provoke the passion of another. So first we see this Alfhild as totally meek and mild, just like ideal of modesty, right? Well, there's a character arc coming, so. 
<laughs> yeah. She's got this Rapunzel-like quality to her. She's she's even like shut up um, in her room by her parents, and uh, Alf has to defeat vipers to reach her, much like Ragnar defeating the beasts to get to Lathiartha. This kind of shows up again and again and again, right? Anyway, after defeating the vipers, Alf demands Alfhild's hand in marriage as his prize. And the story continues there. Seward, Alfhild's father, answered that he would accept that man only for his daughter's husband, of whom she made a free and decided choice. Okay. He lets her choose. Yeah. That's unusual. Yeah. None but the girl's mother was stiff against the wooer's suit, and she privately spoke to her daughter in order to search her mind. The daughter warmly praised her suitor for his valor, whereon the mother upbraided her sharply that her chastity should be unstrung and she be captivated by charming looks. And because, forgetting to judge his virtue, she cast the gaze of a wanton mind upon the flattering lures of beauty. Remember his silvery hair? Alfhold, yeah. <laughs> Thus Alfhold was led to despise the young Dane whereupon she exchanged woman's for man's attire and, no longer the most modest of maidens, began the life of a warlike rover. So it's like, what? (laughs) So remember I said there's a character arc, right? So it's like, (laughs) she goes from like this totally modest, like totally chaste and like mild, unassuming girl who like hides her beauty. And then she gets the hots for this one guy. And then her mom says, Wait, like, he only wants this is what's between your legs, right? And then she's like, what? Oh, my, my faith in humanity is gone. I hate everybody now. And I imagine her, like, you know, like, dyeing her hair black and, like, putting on <laughs> black makeup and listening to The Cure, you know. Rebellious stage. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, anyway, yeah. So, she's like, screw this. I hate what I was. I screw the, the modest woman. I'm just going to dress like a man. I'm going to go out and get mine. (laughs) So that's the rest of her story. So it says, Enrolling in her service, many maidens who were of the same mind, she happened to come to a spot where a band of rovers were lamenting the death of their captain, who had been lost in war. They made her their rover captain for her beauty, and she did deeds beyond the valor of women. So... She, right away, she's like, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm in charge right, now. Let's do this. Yep, let's do this. <laughs> and it's about then that Alf re-enters the story. See, the thing is, he just can't get her out of his mind. She's the one that got away. And he goes on voyages to find her, and he winds up in Finland. And there he enters a narrow gulf with a harbor being held by a large number of ships that start rowing out to attack him. Alf's men were against attacking so many ships with so few, but he replied that it would be shameful if anyone should report to Alfhild that his desire to advance could be checked by a few ships in the path, for he said that their record of honors ought not to be tarnished by such a trifle. So he just charges, right? Yeah. And then as the ships engage and they begin to fight, Alf's men start to realize that there's something unusual about the warriors that they're fighting on these other ships. The Danes wondered whence their enemies got such grace of bodily beauty and such supple limbs. So when they began the sea fight, the young man Alf leapt on the prow of one of the ships and advanced towards the stern, slaughtering all that withstood him. His comrade Borgar struck off the helmet of one of them, and seeing the smoothness of her chin, 
saw that he must fight with kisses and not with arms. <laughs> oh, God. Twilight. <laughs> that the cruel spears must be put away and the enemy handled with gentler dealings. It was Alfhild. So Alf rejoiced that the woman whom he had sought over land and sea in the face of so many dangers was now beyond all expectation in his power, and whereupon he took hold of her eagerly and made her change her man's apparel for a woman's and afterwards begot on her a daughter, Gurud. What a story, huh? Wow. That seems so weird, like like just venturing the world <laughs> on rickety boats mm-hmm. to find one person. To find one? It's a, it's a perfect love story. I don't know why Hollywood hasn't latched onto this yet, right? Oh, that'd be too cheesy. I it's a little cheesy. This is kind of why I love it. But um, <laughs> um, the ending is a little bit dodgy. Like, he just makes her, like, change yeah, back I, into that, women's clothes. It just and... seems very sudden. Like, they got bored of translating the whole thing or they just didn't i kind of want it to have been like something that the christian monk like just invented to kind of sanitize the story i don't know if that's the truth or not i don't know it just seems very sudden especially for someone who just like does a 180 with Mm -hmm. her entire ideology of life and then exactly he attacks her and her crew and she's just like okay that's fine yep (laughs) let's have a kid so a lot of the stuff that got recorded even in histories in the medieval period, was eh, maybe some of it was kind of made up. (laughs) And clearly, like, the fairy tale kind of parts of it, like the vipers and the whatnot, you know, it's pretty clear that that's invented. But there might have been a kernel of truth, you know, and all of these things. So that's kind of the, the, the grain of salt that you have to take all of this with. I don't know. I feel like if I had a beautiful daughter and I was in that time, I might fuck with some people and... Make him do some stupid shit, and yeah. if he dies trying least, to get my daughter, then he dies trying to get my daughter. At least make him wash your long ship. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean by long ship? Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, so anyway, finally, Saxo's catalog of warrior women is rounded out by three female ship captains, Heda, Wisna, and Wigbjorg. We don't get full stories about these women, just mentions in passing. But I just want to, like, give him props here. Even so, just with the mentions, he is not stingy in throwing a little glory in their path, which is kind of interesting, I thought. So he says, Now, out of the town of Slay, under the captains Heda and Visna, with Hakon Kutchik and Tumi the Sailmaker, on these captains, who had the bodies of women, nature bestowed the souls of men. We Bjorg, was also inspired with the same spirit and was attended by Bui Brahmason and brought the Ute, thirsting for war. The maidens I have named in fighting as well as courteous array led their land forces to the battlefield. So what we see in here is despite the diss against them having the male souls, right? The passage does tell us some pretty cool stuff about them. First of all, it reinforces that like Elfhold, women could be leaders. They had people under them. They captained ships, and not just ships full of other women, but it specifically says that Wigbjorg was attended by Bui and Brat the Ute, which are two men's names. So men were willing to follow him too. Later we hear that they were not treated daintily in battle either. 
Rather, they were employed quite strategically in dangerous positions in the battle. In the Battle of Bravala, Heida was placed on the right flank, serving to protect the rest of the army, and Wisna was made standard bearer, which is a very prestigious position. It's like, kind of like holding the flag. Okay. In the battle, Wisna gets her hand cut off, but she grits and bears it, and would later go on to become Queen of Zealand. Meanwhile, Wigbjorg is given a still more glorious fate in the battle. The maiden Wigbjorg fought against the enemy and felled Soth the champion. While she was threatening to slay more champions, she was pierced through by an arrow from the bowstring of Thorkill, a native of Telemark. So she goes up against the baddest-ass warriors the enemy has to, has to offer, basically, and takes them down. Mm-hmm. She dies a hero's death after that, which any Viking of her time would have been envious of. So there you go. Wow. Long story short is despite Saxo's obvious disdain for swordswomen, they are at least not sold short. So thank you to Saxo that <laughs> we got these stories. Now let's turn to what other evidence that there might be for Viking warrior women. We got this literature, right? And we have to take it with a grain of salt. So do we have any evidence that there ever really were women like this? Or was it just made up Amazons, right? So it so happens that, first of all, there are figurines of armed women, and plenty of them, by the way, uh, from the Viking period. But that's kind of hard to interpret that archaeological evidence because they could be mythical beings like Valkyries. So we don't really know if they are real women who were warriors. Another potential source, though, is something called bioarchaeology. So looking at the remains of uh, people from that period. Researchers have looked at the bones of female skeletons from the time period. And on the one hand, they've not been able to identify any female skeletons with obvious signs of like a practiced sword arm with like enlarged bones on one arm or anything like that, or arthritis in the shoulder or anything that would be like a telltale sign. So that part seems like a little bit of like a dead end. But on the other hand, you wouldn't, it would be kind of hard to tell the difference between someone who swung a battle axe a lot and swung just like a wood chopping axe a lot, which women did do that kind of chores all the time. Another piece of archaeological evidence to look at is burial goods. A number of female graves are known that include weapons. One of particular note is the Birka grave in Sweden. And this skeleton was buried with two shields, a sword, an axe, a spear, armor-piercing arrows, and a battle knife, not to mention a horse and a chess-like Viking game called Hnefetafel, which is regarded as a recognition of like, the strategic thinking of the one buried. That's how they kind of interpret that. And here's the cool part about this burial. It was first analyzed in 1889, and it was interpreted at the time as the grave of a battle-hardened man. I thought this was like, oh, this is like the archetype of like the perfect Viking warrior. However, it was reanalyzed in the 70s with some surprising speculations about it that were confirmed just last year in 2017 with the use of DNA evidence. And this battle-hardened man was, in fact... A woman. A woman. That's right. I read that article. Did you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was all over the news. Right. So. I bet you that they didn't even do any analysis on it initially. They just assumed that it was a man. Well, in 1889, you can't do DNA evidence, of course. But, oh, but, but I mean, you can. You the, can pers- the structure of your pelvis is different. Even. 
right? Yeah, and and I'm sure like just the bias of what they were expecting to see. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Wait, when did you read this? You don't even like reading. <laughs> we can continue now. <laughs> All right, so it's still possible to question this evidence. There's some speculation that maybe some bones got mixed up with another specimen over the years or something, but it's like, come on, right? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I thought it was a cool news item, however you want to take it. All right, so we're coming now to our grand finale for this particular episode. We've got one more story before we... Stop kicking me. <laughs> oh, sorry, my friend's falling asleep. I'm just trying to stretch it out. She, she's she's just she's got too much the warrior in her. Yeah, she's got to kick something. <laughs> so, kick some ass. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, I've got one more story before we close here. So so far, all of the stories that we heard were from Saxo Grammaticus's history, but warrior women also showed up occasionally in the sagas. For example. There is the figure of Brynhild in Sigurd's saga, which is the one that Richard Wagner wrote about in the Ring of the Nibelung opera. Um, you know, the Ride of the Valkyries, you know, dom, 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 da, da, dom, dom, yes. dom, that one. Yeah. Oh! Yeah. So there's Brynhild in there. She's a warrior woman. Okay. okay. But that story is already known well enough, so we didn't really go over that well-trodden ground. What I really want to do to round this out, I want to go to a lesser-known warrior woman who's just as badass and who actually has a saga of her own, like the, the name of the saga, depending on which translator you go with, is Hervorar Saga Oak Hadrix, or Hervor, that's her name, or Hadrix Saga. Hadrix is her son. They had to still throw at least a man's name in there somewhere. But of course. she's at least in the title. She made it into the title. Yeah. And she's first. Props for that. And she's, and she's first, that's true. So this tale was written in the 13th century, but purports to recall events from even before the Viking Age, way back in like the 4th century when the Huns were um, ravaging Europe, and it was about the Goths fending off the Huns. Well, that great age might seem to be like a cue that maybe we shouldn't take too much of this story too seriously. We can at least say that the story does preserve a bunch of Gothic names that were no longer in use by the 5th century, so that gives it at least some cred in terms of reflecting something of the 4th century. All right. Yeah. All right. So it's also great because this story, remember I said there was something Tolkien-y coming? Yeah. This story was a major inspiration on J.R.R. Tolkien. Oh. In his conceiving of the world of Middle-earth. Oh, okay. Yep. And in fact, the translator of this particular saga into English was Tolkien's own son, Christopher. And finally, it's also just a great way to end this episode because it circles us back to our main topic because Herver is the daughter of a berserker. And um, our story further begins further back, though. So I'm going to summarize the beginning and then we're going to get to the story of Herver, right? It begins with the forging of a magical sword that she is going to hunt down in this story, okay? So you can already hear the... Yeah. I don't know how to do the song. <laughs> You guys I know, know the Tolkien I can't, song. I, yeah, I, I can do it in my head. <laughs> All right, please re we'll record your thoughts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Middle Earth is from Narnia, right? Yeah. That's not <laughs> even funny. That's not even just funny. That's just a joke. Although Lewis and Tolkien were apparently friends and they like checked each other's script notes, not script notes, the, the drafts or whatever. That's cool. I, okay, so this this magical sword is called. 
Tierfing. 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 Yes, that's actually pretty good. Pretty good pronunciation. That was in Iceland. <laughs> I know, you got cred now. Thingvalar. <laughs> so, there was a king named Svafarlami who trapped two dwarves and forced them to forge a sword for him. What they created was Tierfing. A golden-hilted blade that never missed a stroke, never rusted, and cut through stone and iron as easily as clothes. But the dwarves resented being forced to labor, and so they placed on the sword a triple curse. Every time it was drawn, it would kill a man. It would be the cause of three great evils, and finally it would be the death of Svafarlami himself. And indeed... Svafarlami is, in fact, slain by a berserker named Arngrim, who takes the sword for himself. Arngrim eventually gives it to his son, Angantyr, who is also a berserker, along with his eleven other brothers, berserkers all of them. Now, Angantyr wields the cursed Tyrfing in a battle on the Isle of Samsu, and he wounds a great champion, which was the first evil deed done by the sword. But who cares, because we don't care about that champion. That's not what our sword is about. <laughs> <laughs> the champion, in return, slays Anguntir and all of his berserker brothers. Anguntir is then interred in a burial mound on the island, with his great sword, Turfing, buried with him. Now, Anguntir had a daughter, who is our heroine of our story, Hervor. She was born after Ankantir's death, so she never knew him. She was raised as a bondmaiden in ignorance of her parentage. But from a young age, she showed signs of the fierce blood that ran in her veins. She was uninterested in sewing or any of the other feminine activities. Instead, she took up archery, swordsmanship, and horse riding, and proved as adept at these as any of the other boys. When she grew up, she dressed like a man in breeches, and ventured about fighting and pillaging under the male name Hervard. But she could not remain in ignorance forever of her true parentage. When she discovers who she really is, she's captivated by the idea of this magical sword. And she resolves to obtain it, and goes with her fleet, she has a fleet, wow. <laughs> to the Isle of Samsu, intent on entering her father's burial mound to retrieve his mighty sword of legend, Turfing. Seeing similarities, very strong similarities. So strong echoes in At least Lord between, of the Rings. Yeah. yeah, between certain characters, mm -hmm. yeah. Now, none of the other warriors that are with her are willing to step foot on the island for fear of the ghosts in the burial mounds that haunt the night. But she steals her nerve and ventures onto the island alone. She meets a herdsman who warns her to turn back, but she goes on, and she walks amidst the mounds in the dark of night, then spies a fire burning above one. And she knew then that was the mound that she sought, for it was a common belief that a fire would appear over a mound within which lied buried treasure. Okay, now I have a special treat for you guys. <laughs> so we actually have a poem called The Waking of Anguntir, 
which is Herver's attempt to wake up the ghost of Angantyr and convince him to give her the sword. And it's a dialogue between her and the ghost, and I would love it if you guys would read the roles of Herver and Angantyr. I'm good. Sure. <laughs> you down for it? <laughs> Okay, there's going to be some weird pronunciations in there. We just roll with it, okay? That's the rule of the night, okay? Okay. All right. As long as it isn't bus in Icelandic. <laughs> as long as it isn't bus, which is that super long word you said. What was it? Like, further her berberther? It's ling there, fair there, brother. Yeah, that's not bad. <laughs> okay. So, do you want to be Angantyr and uh, the ghost and Herber? A woman, sure. or do you want a gender band, or how do you want to run this? I don't <clears throat> care. I can be the. You want to be the woman? Yeah. All right. There you go. All right. In color, I've highlighted which are your speaking pieces. The okay. And I'll read everything else like a narrator. Oh sure. Okay. okay. All right. So. Should I start. talk with a really deep voice? <laughs> like a ghost that's dead. If that's how a ghost sound in your mind, sure. <laughs> Okay. Now Herver saw where out upon the island burned the fire of the barrows, and she went towards it without fear, though all the mounds were on her path. She made her way into these fires as if they were no more than mist, until she came to the barrow of the berserks. Then she spoke. Wake, Angantir. Wakes you, Herver. Sava's offspring, your only daughter, the keen-edged blade from the barrow give me, the sword-dwarf smithed for Sanglarmi. Havard, Chavard. I think those are maybe your two names, or maybe people you're named after. Oh! Your name is that's Herver, a really name. and then you're going by the male name Herverd, which I have to imagine might be the like original like Harvard. Like the school? Yeah. I, I, I'm guessing on that, but... I mean, it's... Take out the yeah. two letters. Um, Harani Anguntir. From the roots of the tree, I arouse you all. With helm and corslet, keen-edged weapon, gear and buckler, and graven spear. All but to dust have Angrim's children, men of evil, in the mound been turned. If of Ifura's sons, no single one to me will speak... And Maravang. <laughs> I forgot how to pronounce her name. Harvard, Harvard. Harvard. Harvard, Harvard, Rani Anguntir. May it seem to you all within your ribs as if in mound of maggots you moldered away. If you fetch not the sword forged by Dalvin, it becomes not ghost costly arms to bear. Yeah. Those other names, like, um, I think Herbert, Hjorvard, Hrani, Anguntir. I think that's probably all those brothers, like four of them. Oh, okay. Because I, I was going to say her dad's name is in here, so it can yeah. just be herself she's talking about. Right, 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 right. And Dvalin, I think, is the dwarf that forged the sword. Okay. Yeah, okay. Then Anguntir answered her. Why do you hail me, Herver daughter? To your doom you are faring, filled with evil. <laughs> Mad you are now, your mind darkened, when with wits wandering you wake the dead. No father or kinsman in cairn laid me. They kept turfing the two survivors. One alone did wield it after. Herver answered. 
You give me a lie. May the God let you rest whole in your how. If you're holding that terrifying with you, unwilling you are to give the heirloom to your only child. Then the barrow opened, and it was as if the whole mound were fire and flame. Angantir spoke again. Hell's gate is lifted. How is our opening? The isles border ablaze before you. Grim outside now to gaze around you. To your ships if you can. Quick now, maiden. She no, answered. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. No blades can you light burning in the darkness that your funeral fire should with fear daunt me. Unmoved shall remain the maiden's spirit, though she gaze on a ghost in the grave door standing. Then Anguntir said, I tell you, Herever, hear my words out. What shall come to pass? Prince's daughter, trust what I tell you. Tearfing daughter, shall be ruin and end all, all your family. You shall bear offspring, who in after days shall wield Tyrfing and trust in his strength. By the name Hedric, known to his people, born the strongest beneath the sun's curtain. Then Herver said, A human indeed, I was held to be ere I came hither your hall seeking. Hater of mail coats from the mound give me, peril to bucklers, bane of Halmar. Ungantir answered, Beneath my back is laid the bane of Helmar. Helmar. <laughs> Helmar. Beneath my back is laid the bane of Helmar. All around it and wrapped with fire. In the world walking, no woman. So many W's. <laughs> I know. That's, that's actually a feature of the poetry. It's alliteration. In the world walking, no woman know I who would dare in her hand to hold this sword. Then Herver said, I will guard it and grasp it in hand, the keen-edged sword, can I but obtain it. No fear have I of the fire burning, the flame grows less as I look towards it. Angantir answered, Fool you are, Herver, in your heart's daring with eyes open to enter the fire. The blade from the barrow I will bring, rather, O young maiden, I may not refuse you. Herver answered, Son of warriors, you do well in this. The blade to me from the barrow yielding, king, to keep it I count it dearer than were all Norway beneath my hand. Angantir spoke. You see it not. You're in speech accursed. Woman of evil, why you're rejoicing, trust what I tell you. Tearfing daughter, shall be ruin and end of all your family. Herver spoke. I will go my way to the wave horses. Chieftain's daughter, cheerful-hearted. I care not at all, O king's companion, how my son shall strive hereafter. Angatir spoke. You shall keep Tyrfing with contentment long, the bane of Helamar in hide and keep. Touch not the edges, and each is poison, worse than deadly, doom bringer to men. Farewell, daughter. Fain would I give you twelve heroes' lives. Trust what I tell you. The goodly strength and strong endurance that Engram's sons left after them. And now Herver said, May you all lie unharmed in the how resting, to hasten hence my heart urges. I seemed to myself to be set between worlds when all about me burnt the cairn fires. And that is the end. So she busts into the burial mound and says, Give me my damn sword, right? <laughs> and he's like, it's going to be the ruin of you. You don't want this thing. It's bad. It's got curses on it. She's like, yeah, just give me this sword. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't care. Once I'm, I'm gone, I'm gone. Yeah. They can deal <laughs> with it. A triple curse by that. A what, triple what is a triple curse? curse? 
Um, there were three evils that it uh, was to do before the end of the sword's like career, right? And the first one was to kill that one champion. Right. Yeah. You want to hear the rest of the story? Sure. <laughs> so after retrieving the sword, she continues to gallivant about on Viking raids and whatnot, still often going by the male name Herbard. Eventually, though, she finds she's kind of sown her wild oats sufficiently, and she feels a bit weary of it all, and she finally settles down and has two sons. One is named Haythric, and the other is named after her grandfather, Angantyr. She gives the sword to Haythric, who draws the sword to show it to his brother. Uh-oh. <laughs> yep. You're shaking your head, I can tell. Well, I'm uh, Angantyr. Yep. Because of the curse that once it is drawn, it must kill a man, Haydric is compelled to slay his own brother. That is the second great evil that the sword commits. Finally, one day, after Haydric had become king of the Goths, he was sleeping in his tent when eight of his thralls, or slaves, broke into his tent, stole the sword Turfing, and used it to slay Haydric. That was the third and the final great evil. Haythric himself actually had a daughter, whom he named Hervor, after your character, and she became a warrior woman too, and fell in battle at the hands of the Huns. Oh. That's where the story ends, basically. So, so she has a glorious death. What happens to the sword after all three curses are done? It's just it is, a regular sword? I imagine that it comes back in season two. <laughs> <I don't, laughs> it doesn't say. There's so many similarities. <laughs> it's a good story to draw from, but like, yeah, there's a lot of similarities. Did yeah. you did you catch any of the similarities? For what? Lord of the Rings. To Lord of the Rings. To Narnia. Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> just just give up. Yeah. Just give up. It's way easier. All right. Well, that's our show for today. It's the end of our episode. So thank you very much for your uh, participating in your the roles here. So thank you. Yeah. Uh, and thank you for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you for having us, yes. Yeah. So that's all that we have to say about badass women of the Viking Age. <laughs> to summarize, there may not have been a thing called a shield maiden, but clearly from the stories that we read, there was something going on. Individual women here and there were apparently empowered enough to take up arms and armor and go a Viking and go and make their fortune to go and bust into a frickin' burial mound and dig up a magic sword. (laughs) (laughs) Granted, there was a fire leading her to it. But none of the men on her ship were willing to even step foot on that island. So So anyway, everybody, remember to review us on Stitcher to get your portrait drawn in the time period and culture of your choosing. I will draw you as, like, a ghostly berserker, <laughs> like, desperately warning somebody not to take this damn sword that's going to be at death of you. Um, I actually drew Nick and Tia as uh, characters from Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Um, it was Faramir and uh, Eowyn, right? Yes. Yep. You can see that on our website, www.deadideas.net, on our supporters page. You two can have your portrait drawn. I'll make you look awesome, I promise. If you like what we're doing here, you can also support us on Patreon. And next time, we will be back with more great Viking awesomeness. Specifically, we are going to take everything that we've learned so far in this series, and then we are going to live it. It's going to be a role-playing episode. Andre's going to be back. We're going to be in Iceland at the end of the Viking Age, and we're going to experience life as a berserker. I'll see you then. 
I'm B.T. Newberg, and this is Dead Ideas. Yeah.